1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should not become disqualified. And Father, we just humbly ask for just the grace and the help of your Holy Spirit as we take this time to continue now in our worship of you by opening the word of God Lord, we thank you for the privilege to still continue to do this in this great nation that you allow us to be a part of. We thank you for another new year, Lord, and the very mercies of God that we're standing here together as the family of God this morning. We're grateful, Lord, and ask that as we start this new year, that even the passage in front of us this day, that your spirit would use it to speak things to us, to help us to serve you effectively as individuals and as a church family in this year ahead. So please prepare us, Lord, by the power and ministry of your spirit. And we ask that by your spirit's voice, we would hear what you're saying to us this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there is something, whether you like sporting events or not, I believe, very inspirational about observing a serious athlete. And yet I would go further to say, I think there's something even more inspirational about witnessing or observing a serious or a devoted Christian. You know, the reality is, you know, as well as I do, everybody knows there are differences between those who are athletes and those who are serious athletes. And there are athletes and there are serious athletes. And excelling in athletic competition is not just always a matter of skill or natural ability. It's also greatly dependent upon the mindset, is it not, of the one who is the athlete and participating in athletic competition. It's also greatly dependent upon their sense of dedication and determination. It takes being serious to being devoted as an athlete, actually it seems to become a successful athlete. Because even if you have great natural ability, if you're not committed, you're not disciplined and dedicated, you're probably not going to arrive to the same level of success in athletic competition. Well, it's interesting that one of the primary metaphors we find in the New Testament for the Christian in serving our Lord Jesus Christ is the idea of being an athlete. We see these sports and athletic analogies throughout the New Testament. And, you know, in light of that reality, I think it's good for us to consider that the idea of the analogy of an athlete doing their best, trying their hardest, uh, trying to compete according to the rules so they don't become disqualified, understanding there's a reward and a prize at the end. This beautiful picture is what's given to us that in a like manner that we ought to serve the Lord. And I think it's fair for us, therefore, to kind of ask ourselves, very fitting, especially as we begin a brand new year here, what a fitting passage we just find ourselves in as we're journeying our way through a book of the Bible here. What a great opportunity to ask ourselves, how serious do you take your relationship with the Lord Jesus? 
And how committed are you to running your race, if you would, and how you live for him and seek to fulfill his kingdom purposes? When you compare the analogy again of a serious athlete, would you truly consider yourself a serious Christian? Not just a Christian, but a serious Christian who really wants to excel in your walk with Christ and your fruitfulness spiritually and your impact for the kingdom of God. What's your mindset about living for Jesus in comparison to a devoted athlete? Do you see yourself as a devoted Christian? Well, that seems what Paul is really trying to emphasize in these last few verses here, 1 Corinthians 9. And again, what a timely occasion as we just happen to be starting a new year here to think about some of these things. Remember the backdrop from chapters 8 and 9 specifically. Paul has been discussing how because he wanted to honor the Lord and because he loved people more than just loving himself, that he was willing at times to set aside his own rights, to think beyond himself, his own needs or desires or preferences, and he was willing to make personal sacrifices, to adjust at times, to be flexible, to be willing to be adaptable, and to do what he needed to do to fulfill the higher purposes of God. And really, as he said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23, to do what he could for the sake of the gospel. In other words, Paul was continually pointing out in chapters 8 and 9 how we have this decision as we live for Christ and we recognize that we can live for a higher standard for the sake of the gospel and not just the sake of our own personal comforts or our worldly desires, that for the sake of the gospel at times we can set aside things that maybe we would be allowed to do to say, but you know what, if that's going to hold me back or hinder me from following Christ effectively or serving people to a greater degree, I'm willing to be adaptable. I'm willing to adjust. I'm willing to make sacrifices to do what's in the best interest of honoring the Lord and serving others. And it seems Paul now continues with this encouragement to all believers by using now athletic imagery as he comes to the end of the chapter here. He talks about running a race and trying your best to win the prize and doing whatever is necessary in self-discipline and determination, making sure you're not disqualified, but that you do your absolute best to excel towards victory in the Christian life. Now, let me just say, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians, it's very interesting that he does use athletic analogy writing to the church of Corinth. Because we know historically that the city of Corinth was famous for their sporting events and their love for athletics. Uh, We know the Isthmian Games happened every few years in the city of Corinth, and those games were second in prestige and popularity only to the Olympics themselves. So the people of this culture of Corinth were very familiar and they deeply admired those who were in athletics and all that these athletes would do in these Isthmian games to try and achieve victory in their pursuits. They were inspired by the great degree of dedication that they saw in these athletes. They were amazed by the degree of determination that they would put forth and how these athletes would undergo strict lifestyles, making sacrifices that other people wouldn't in preparation and training in order to attempt to win, and were willing to make these sacrifices presently because they saw further down the road to the future goal that it could bring about. And Paul's going to say this same attitude ought to be the attitude of the Christian, that if these people do this for athletics in the physical realm and to get a temporal reward, how much more, he's going to say, ought we as children of God 
understanding our spiritual reality, be willing to have that same mindset. If Olympic runners will do all they do for four years to get ready and to try and do their best to excel and win a little piece of metal to hang around their neck for a few moment ceremony, Paul's going to say, how much more ought we spiritually to take those same things into consideration as we serve the Lord? I mean, we look at professional athletes, even our American culture, the things they will do, the regimen to excel to the highest levels. And what is honestly kind of a, a sad thing to think how much more ought we to invest in serving the Lord successfully being a serious Christian. So Paul here in verse 24, as he starts to talk about these things, the first thing he says here, verse 24, is he asks this question. He says, do you not know that those, he says, who run in a race, all run, they all compete, but only one, he says, receives the prize, the victory crown. Run, therefore, he says, in such a way that you may obtain it. So the first thing I see here from verse 24 is Paul teaches us here that serving our Lord Jesus is worthy of our determination. Let me say that again. Serving our Lord Jesus is worthy of our determination. Paul uses a picture here in verse 24, and he says, look, in all races, whether they were sprints or whether they were long-distance runs, he says, the athletes come to that, and he says, many people, whether it's a sprint or a marathon with a massive group of people, he said, many people will participate. They'll enter into the race. But he says, we all know, however, only one person actually ends up being crowned the winner. And that's because what do they do? They excel in their performance beyond everyone else. And this is the picture that Paul's trying to bring about, that because of their diligent preparation, of their motivation passionately to give their best effort, through great determination and effort, what do they do? They rise to a higher level and they excel in what they do in their performance to ultimately become the winner in that race. And as a result, they receive that winner's prize, the reward for higher achievement, and their mindset, the runners who would win, their mindset was there was something so important about that race, something so important about excelling and winning that it was worth not just participating in, but something worth actually trying to win. They didn't want just a little participation ribbon at the end to say, I ran in the race. I got the participation trophy. Nowadays, everybody gets a participation trophy, Right. Nowadays, we can't have winners and losers. We have to, everybody's just a participant. And we almost diminish this idea of actually giving our best and teaching. You can learn lessons through losing, just like you can learn lessons through winning. But these people, they ran the race because it mattered enough that they wanted to give the highest degree of effort to potentially excel to the highest degree of success in the thing that they were doing. So Paul's saying, look, if you're going to enter the race, why not actually be motivated to try and win the thing? If you're going to bother running, why wouldn't you want to give your best and see how well you can do? He's saying, don't just passively participate that maybe you could finish. Be passionately driven and be motivated, he says, to try and run that race and actually win it, to experience the thrill whereby you excel to the highest degree. So he's pointing out how it is a choice. It's a decision both for the runner in a race as well as for the Christian to run in such a way. Notice that's what Paul says there, run in such a way. That is, you can choose how you run. 
You could just jog along and say, I crossed the finish line. I feel very glad about that. Or he says, you can run in such a way where you receive the highest reward because of the greatest accomplishment. And in order to win the prize and excel, you couldn't be, Paul's trying to point out, just a casual competitor, right? You couldn't just compete the same way the majority of people did. If you were going to be a winner, if you were going to excel, you had to be motivated and take your commitment level to a higher level than the ordinary person naturally would. You had to be willing to do that, to run a particular way. You have to be, Paul's saying, determined. You have to exercise great determination to achieve the highest goal possible. And this is the analogy, and I think it's a wonderful analogy, that God gives to us in his word about the spiritual life. It's like running a race. What a great analogy for the spiritual life. When we first come to Jesus Christ, recognizing that we are a sinner and that he is the savior, that he died on the cross for our sins to take the punishment that we deserve for our sins and that he rose from the dead and that now Jesus alone can forgive our sins and that if we come to him, he'll forgive us. He'll give us the gift of eternal life and we choose to begin to follow him as Lord. At that moment, when we have a spiritual conversion experience, it's almost as if, bang, that's the spiritual starting gun. At that moment, when you and I are saved, it's at that moment we are supernaturally entered into the race, if you would. And our goal, our end goal in life is completely different. Before, we were running a different race out in the world, trying to chase other goals and cross other finish lines. But now we're entered into this Christian race where there is a different course to run until we cross the finish line, which allows us to enter into heaven. And when we get saved, we enter into that race. Now, we're not competing against other people in the spiritual life. That's not the idea of a race spiritually. We're not trying to outdo other people. We recognize we're given our own leg, if you would, to run our lap or our few laps around the track. And God gives us our own lane and our own leg in the race to run our course until we cross the finish line. And here's the thing to remember, folks. Nobody knows how long or how short your race is. Nobody knows that. That's the one thing that none of us know. The Bible says it's appointed for a man to die once and then to face judgment. Death is the one appointment that everyone has that everyone cannot cancel, and yet you don't know the day or the hour of it. So it's an appointment that is destined that you cannot change or alter, but you cannot know the day or the hour that it's coming. That's why it's so important to realize, Lord, I don't know if my race is going to be this long, or if my race is going to be this long, or if I'm going to have a very short race. None of us know that. God alone knows that. But that's all the more reason why we don't want to be apathetically, casually just jogging around, staring at the birds and being distracted rather than paying attention with determination and running our race to the best of our ability. Because we don't know how long our race is. Our race can come to an end. Death can come to us at any moment. We don't know that very reality. Look, I, this Wednesday before I came here and did church, I just conducted another funeral, not even from anyone from this church. I actually conducted a funeral for someone who attends another church because their pastor has COVID-19 and is on a ventilator in the hospital. And since their pastor couldn't, I stepped in and helped out. Look, none of us know the day or the hour. 
you know, if there's anything that this whole pandemic has done to all of us, which I don't think is a bad thing, is it's kind of caused everybody a little bit to a degree to recognize again that life's fragile. Now, the reality is this. I don't think we should live in fear and panic and be overwhelmed. But the reality is this. To some degree, that fact has always existed. Right. Life's always been fragile. The problem is, is we just need things periodically as human beings to remind us of that. COVID-19 didn't make life become more fragile. Life was already fragile. We just get so preoccupied, we fail to recognize this. Sometimes it's good to talk to people, I think, in the medical field periodically because they kind of keep a little better pulse on that because they're in the medical field all the time. They realize life's a lot more fragile because they see it day to day in everyday experience. But the reality is we have a race to run and we don't know how long or short that race is. And that should be one of the things that motivates us all the more to realize God's given me a specific course. There is a potential reward. This is an important race. So I need to run in such a way. You ought to run in such a way with determination to try and do our absolute best in our course. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, that is move me off course. Nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish, listen, finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. Of course, Paul, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, made this declaration. He said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. You know, in light of this spiritual picture, our coach, if you would, Paul the Apostle, who's been a runner himself, who's ran quite a good race, Paul says, look, as a spiritual coach, let me encourage you. He says, run in such a way that you can excel, obtain the highest prize. He's saying, I'm not telling you to do something I didn't once do. I've run my race as well. And he says, look, I'm asking you, take your spiritual life seriously. Don't allow yourself to become passive and half-hearted, even spiritually lazy from time to time. Because the question that we should really always be asking ourselves is, how am I running my spiritual race? Because the reality is we all have the potential to get a little bit sluggish and things happen and, and we can all have that potential. But ask yourself this morning, again, great occasion as we cross through the boundary of leaving one year and entering into another year. How are you doing spiritually in the area of determination? How determined are you personally to really walk with Jesus to really serve the Lord and to be driven to achieve the highest, if you could, benefit and potential of your spiritual walk and service to the Lord. Romans 12 says to us that we're not to be lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit serving the Lord. You know, may God give us the grace in this next year to seek to be more determined. Lord, I want to be more determined now because I know one thing for certain. I certainly probably have a lot less left in my race than in my rearview mirror. And again, age just starts to tell you that. You start to realize at a certain point, there's clearly probably less race in front of me now than there is behind me. So kind of like as you look to the finish line, there's something about that where you become motivated. I'm starting to see that it's not too far out there. So most of the race has been run or a good portion of it's been run or half of it's been run. So, so let me run well to the end. 
run in such a way to see if I can achieve the highest degree. And may God give us that grace to be determined in our walk and relationship with the Lord. Paul goes on, verse 25, to say, and everyone also who competes for that prize, he says, is temperate in all things. Now he says, they do it to obtain a perishable, temporary crown. But we, he says, do it for an imperishable crown. The second thing I see Paul say to us here in verse 25, that our future reward of serving Christ is also worthy of our dedication. Our future reward, which we all look for, of serving Christ is worthy of our dedication. What he's describing in verse 25 here is the lifestyle and commitment level that was displayed in athletes who chose to engage in these Isthmian games that took place in Corinth. He says, everyone who competes, verse 25, he says, is temperate in all things. That word temperate speaks of exercising restraint or using moderation in what you do or don't partake of. It spoke of setting limits upon your life, regulating yourself, and sticking to those boundaries and never overindulging or crossing outside of those boundaries. It spoke to living a life with boundaries that you regulated yourself because of your athletic pursuit. And he says, they do this, they live temperately, he says, so that they are able, he says, to compete for the prize. And that word compete that Paul uses there in verse 25 is the Greek term agonizo, where we get our English word agony. And that's the idea of agonizing in athletic effort and endeavor. And again, if you have ever watched, again, certain athletes in different sports and and watched people agonize in the training and the preparation. I mean, you, you know, boxers or, you know, MMA fighters or professional athletes, and you see what these people subject their bodies to. I mean, how they will agonize or a wrestler, right? If any of you wrestled in high school, trying to cut weight, And what these people will do, or those who are runners that run long distances, I mean, you know, the Ironman competitors, I mean, think what these people do to agonize in their bodies to be able to push themselves in their dedication. And they do this to compete for the prize. When someone is so dedicated to something, it's amazing, isn't it? The degree of perseverance they will put into something. The degree of, you know, effort and, and, and pursuit to agonize. I mean, that is a very real thing for athletic competitors. This dedication to live temperate and live within boundaries all because they want that prize so bad. Because it is absolutely so important to him. You know, it's interesting that all the athletes who actually competed in these Isthmian games were actually required to enter into contractual agreements if they wanted to compete in the games themselves. For example, it required them to observe and submit to certain official regulations separate from their own personally determined training regimen. So all who competed had to enter into official regulations where they had to train for at least 10 months and they were required to be observed under the direction of judges from the games to make sure they were putting in a sincere enough effort to even have the opportunity to compete. They were required by obligation to abstain from wine. They were required to to observe a rigid diet and a regimen of habits in order to even be allowed to compete. They had to be willing to show their level of dedication even to participate in the games. One man said this, the athlete must watch his diet as well as his hours. He must smile and say, no, thank you. 
when people offer him fattening desserts. Holidays are over, right? Fattening desserts or invite him to late night parties. There is nothing wrong with food or fun. But if these things interfere with your highest goals, then as an athlete, they are hindrances and not helps. And see, with this picture, in order to excel in sports competition, it's necessary to exercise a great degree of dedication. Any athlete knows this. And so they choose to live in this way where they make a commitment. And they don't just make a commitment. They actually keep their commitment. They make a commitment, but then they show the dedication to stick to their commitment. And they stay at it, and they observe that dedication and that discipline and able to make wise decisions to live in ways where they have to be a steward, if you would, of their lifestyle because of their goal. They take into consideration, hey, I have to avoid certain things because those things may hinder me. And those things may not be wrong in and of themselves, and maybe other people can do them. But I'm trying to pursue a higher degree in something here. So therefore, what other athletes may choose to do because they don't care about the gold, I'm not doing that. I'm willing to give up those things because I want to be sincerely focused and live temperate because I want to excel in my pursuit. And an athlete who wants to succeed is willing to do these things because of their desire for victory. And look, the same is true, Paul is saying, for the spiritual life. To a degree, there is wisdom in the Christian realizing I'm running my race and I can just run my race or I can run my race with personal dedication and degree of commitment that allows me to experience a greater degree of spiritual fruitfulness, a greater degree of spiritual effectiveness. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 4 to young Timothy as he wrote to him, he said, Timothy, exercise yourself towards godliness. He used the spiritual analogy. Exercise yourself. He said bodily exercise profits a little, but he says godliness is profitable for the life that now is and the life that is to come. It's much more profitable. I don't know. Maybe Timothy was into crossfitting in his day. I don't know. And maybe Paul was saying, Timothy, that's fine. Do your crossfit. But Timothy, do you spend more time crossfitting than you do fitting yourself to live, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus? What are you into more, Timothy? Because one matters way more. And so he said, Timothy, exercise yourself towards godliness. It's, it's literally exercise. They just put some time in the spiritual gym. Right? I mean, we understand this on a natural level with our physical bodies about eating habits and physical exercise. But it's almost, you know, kind of somewhat sad sometimes as Christians that we can't see the same concept applies for spiritual health. And a person wonders why they're struggling spiritually or they're not healthy in their spiritual walk. And it seems that it's almost as if it's like just a, a mesmerizing thing. Well, you mean I got to read my Bible? You mean, you mean I have to go to church? You mean I have to pray? I have to stay in accountability with other Christians? I mean, I thought I could just get saved and be a spiritual superhero. Well, I don't understand. And look, we would never do that in a physical sense. So in a spiritual sense, we have to understand that we have to exercise ourselves towards God. And we've got to put some time in the spiritual gym to be spiritually healthy and progress. And if we understand that necessity in athletics or dedication in career or academics, you know, God help us to use the wisdom to realize the same applies. We have to exercise a degree of dedication because we see the worthiness of the reward on the back end. 
And look, Paul's saying here, we have a much greater reason even than an athlete to be motivated in our dedication. He says, these athletes will do those things. Look what he says, for a perishable crown. They, when they won their race, they got a little crown made of leaves. Now, I don't know how long that thing lasted for. Leaves. But it was so prestigious to them to have that honor and that experience. They would do all these things for that temporary crown. And Paul's saying, in comparison, how much more? Should we exercise devotion and dedication? Because we're doing it, he says, for an imperishable eternal crown. As Jesus, our victor judge, says to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Here is your reward. And look, let me just say this morning, because sometimes Christians say, what's the big deal? This you know, eternal reward thing. I mean, I don't care about no eternal reward, no crown, whatever. Trust me, when you get to heaven, you will. Read Revelation chapter 4, because part of the worship experience in heaven, Revelation 4 says, is we are casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The last thing you want to do is be standing in eternity and be looking at your friend next to you and say, can I borrow yours to try just one time? I want to see what that feels like. I want to fully worship the Lord. No, you want to be able to have a crown to cast at the feet of Jesus. Your eternal experience, to some degree, is going to be dependent upon the degree of eternal reward you accumulated by how well you did or didn't live for Jesus. It will matter in eternity. It should be something that motivates us now to a great degree of dedication. So our future reward of serving Christ is worthy of our earthly dedication now. Paul says, verse 26, Therefore I run in light of these things thus, not with uncertainty. And thus I fight, he says, not as one who's just beating the air like a shadow boxer. And here in verse 26, Paul shows that in order to make progress in spiritual life, we need to live, we may fairly say, with a degree of focus. Focus or a degree of direction. Paul's saying if we're going to make progress, we have to have a degree of focus that we maintain in our lives. In the races, when the starting gun went off, they focused on a post that was at the end that was big enough so that all the runners could see that post on the other end. And they focused on that post as they ran. That was their focal point. And they kept their eye on that end post as a way to make sure that they pursued and made progress towards it. And a successful and effective runner could not just run around aimlessly. You know, they, they couldn't run without paying attention to their pace. These were all things a runner had to pay attention to. They had to pay attention and stay focused on their pace and make sure they stood in their lane, right? Because if you go out of your lane, disqualified. If you get distracted because you see a cute bunny and you run over there, you're probably going to lose. You got to stay focused. If you're always looking back over your shoulder, if you're looking back over your shoulder all the time, you're going to slow down. You're going to trip. It's going to hit you got to stay focused on what you're running towards and where you're going. That was important. A sense of clear direction was critical to stay attentive if you were going to be an effective runner making progresses. They ran the ideas with purpose, with direction. And again, this is the spiritual analogy. We need to beware as Christians of allowing ourselves, as I said a moment ago, to kind of be a little bit sloppy in our spiritual lives from time to time, right? And we all do that. From time to time, all of us serving the Lord, we can start to kind of just wander a little bit aimlessly for a time spiritually. You know, we get distracted by this or 
this thing or this pursuit or some person. And, and we all kind of have this potential to kind of just start to wander a little bit aimlessly spiritually. And we kind of lose focus a little bit. We lose vigilance and purpose in what we're doing and serving the Lord. And from time to time, we all need to kind of refocus in our spiritual lives. I know I do anyway. And it's a healthy thing on occasion to realize that, that if it's necessary to make progress, that we want to maintain spiritual direction. So again, Hebrews 12 says it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the picture there is like a stadium watching. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles or trips us up our shoelaces. And let us run, he says, with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the end post. He's the end goal. He's the victor's judge that's going to say, well done when we cross the finish line. So we need to pay attention. We need to set aside things we start to see that hinder us or keep them in better balance. If there are sins that are ensnaring us, we have to be willing to say, you know, look, this keeps tripping me up. I've got to deal with this because it's holding me back in my spiritual race and fix our eyes on Jesus and run towards him with love and devotion, wanting his commendation when we cross the finish line. Philippians 3, Paul says this, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. That, that word goal there is the end post in a race. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice, the Bible says, beware of looking behind you. Beware of that. You got to forget what's behind and reach forward towards what's ahead. And I'll tell you something. Just like looking behind you can mess up a runner in a race, it can mess up a Christian as we're trying to run our race. And there's two ways we can look behind ourselves and get off track and lose focus. Sometimes we're always looking back at what happened in our past, some mistake we made that we're still struggling with self-pity over and condemnation, and, and we're wallowing kind of in regret, and that can hinder us and hold us back. And other times we can look back at the glory days of our spiritual life. Oh, I remember, I remember when I was this seat, when I was walking with Jesus and, on, and I was doing all these things and, or I remember when I was a part of that ministry or all, oh, remember when we were a part of that church and all these, wow, and boom, all these, and we, we tell all these glory stories of what we, which are good things of what happened in the past. But the reality is we're so excited and constantly thinking about all the glory days of our past spiritual life. It hinders, well, what are you doing today for Jesus? Why don't you have the same passion today for Jesus? That's what God wants. God says, forget what's behind. Reach forward towards what's ahead. Live in the present. Run towards the future. And so we have to be careful of this very thing. Paul says we have to make sure that we don't let ourselves become encumbered. We have to keep focus. And in verse 26 here, he uses another analogy, almost switches it up a bit in verse 26, saying, thus I also fight not as one who beats the air. And the idea there is, again, it's kind of like, like a shadow boxer. You know, a lot of young men do this at some point in time. You know, you get in front of the mirror, right? And you, you practice your moves a little bit there, and you, you shadow box, and, and maybe even you think about what it actually would feel like when someone was beating the pulp out of you because you're not very good at it. 
And so you're standing in front of the mirror and you're practicing, you're doing your shadow boxing thing. Well, listen, shadow boxing is, is great, but it's vastly different than actually getting in the ring and having a fight, right? And Paul says, I, I don't want to just shadow box and beat the air. Paul says, I take this spiritual fight that I'm in seriously. I'm not shadow boxing. He says, I don't want to just be shadow boxing. I'm willing to actually get into the spiritual ring and courageously fight for what's important. And sadly, too many Christians sometimes end up becoming, whether consciously or unconsciously, just kind of like spiritual spectators. They just kind of want to shadow box and watch other people get in the ring, but they never get in the ring themselves. They never truly step into the fight, the spiritual fight. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Timothy, I fought my fight, but you also got to fight your fight. And look, does it take a degree of commitment and courage and faith and sacrifice to take a few hits, if you would, to be effective for the kingdom? Of course. But would we not be fair to say as well, certain things in this life are worth fighting for? Are they not? And as Christians, sometimes if we're not careful, like other people in the world, we can be preoccupied in having all these other fights that we're engaged in. You know, we're fighting for this, and we're fighting for our belief in that. And we're fighting for this, and we're and, and look, I, I, there's everything has its place, but there are certain things worth, really worth, fighting for. And I would say fighting for walking with and the cause of Jesus Christ should be pretty high on the list, if not the top. And fighting for what matters, our family and souls and things that really matter and not getting engaged in fights that don't matter, but really being willing to focus on, hey, I'm not going to just take random swings. I want to I take shots. I want to take intentional shots. I want to hit the target. And if I'm going to take some hits, I want to make sure that I'm effective and I'm keeping my guard up, but at the same time looking to make my shots count in the things that I'm fighting for. And Paul encourages us to do this. He says, you've got to be focused to do this. So again, this focus thing is a very important thing to establish and maintain. And then Paul concludes verse 27 saying, but I also discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, he says, I myself should become disqualified. I think the fourth thing Paul indicates in our last verse here is in order to become and remain effective for Christ, we have to exercise discipline discipline or self-denial, we might say. Again, athletes accept that personal discipline and self-denial is essential if they're going to be effective. An athlete has to be disciplined and keep their body under control in many different ways, right? In their training regimen, in their diet that they maintain, in their passions and desires, and even pushing through pain once in a while, right? That's part of the discipline and self-denial of an athlete. They can't let their bodily desires dictate to them what they do. They have to discipline themselves and deny themselves as is needed. They have to be willing, despite what their body may be saying or despite what their desires may be screaming to them, the athlete realizes I have got to rule over those bodily desires and even some past times push past my bodily demands. And, and Paul says here, if the athlete doesn't do that, they can become disqualified, right? Because they'll break the rules because they didn't maintain discipline. And therefore, they then become disqualified and they lose opportunity to be able to excel or to even be effective. And the same applies, Paul's trying to point out spiritually. 
that we in the same way need to realize that we have to exercise self-denial and discipline in the spiritual life and make sure that we don't do things to disqualify ourselves from being effective spiritually as servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.5, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And he uses that as a spiritual analogy. Well, think about that from our perspective as Christians. In athletic games, they had a set of rules and boundaries. You need to honor those rules or you could be penalized or worse, you could actually end up be disqualified altogether, rendered completely ineffective. And then you won't experience success or you won't excel. Well, spiritually, what are God's rules? Well, it's not rocket science. We're holding it this morning, right? Here's God's rules. Here's God's standard, God's rule book. And Paul is saying, look, I'm afraid and I keep myself in check and I realize I need to subject my bodily desires and appetites to my fleshly man, keep it subjected in discipline, personal discipline, lest I violate the truths and rules of God's word in compromise and sin and end up disqualifying myself as a man of God for some momentary compromise. And Paul says, I would never want to do that. Paul was afraid. He realized it's a long race. And it's not just how you start, it's how you finish that matters in the race. And Paul says, I don't want to run the whole thing and get 80% of the way there. And 80% of the way there gets sloppy and disqualify myself and render myself ineffective for the Lord because I became not conscious of what I was doing. And look, our fleshly bodies, are they not? They're very strong in their appetites. Whether it's our attitudes or our desires or whatever it may be, our sinful thoughts and desires are strong battles to wrestle through from time to time. And you know as well as I do, those things can get us disqualified in our effectiveness spiritually. Because if we give in to compromise or we enter into sin, we can find ourselves ending up doing things that cause us to be disqualified in our spiritual effectiveness. And this is the issue here. We need to exercise self-control, and that self-control only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what did Paul say in Galatians 5? Part of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, right? We know the list. And what's he say at the end? And self-control. I need to be living in constant fellowship with the Lord and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can have self-control. So that as Paul says here, through self-control, I can discipline my body, bring my bodily desires and sinful drives and thoughts and feelings into subjection and not let those things control me, lest I find myself, he says, becoming disqualified. Look, the issue here is not disqualification of losing our salvation. That's not the context of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about disqualification in the sense of losing effectiveness spiritually. And that's what sin and compromise does. It harms and hinders our effectiveness for the Lord. And Paul, to me, recognized in humility, he says, I want to discipline my body and bring this subjection, lest when I've preached to others that I myself don't become disqualified. What's Paul admitting? Paul realized it's possible to preach truth to others and yet not live it out ourselves in our personal lives. 
And Paul says, man, oh man, I never want to become guilty of that grievous error where I can say all the right things to everyone else. And I can prepare messages and get behind a box. And I can tell people the truths of God, but yet in my private life or my personal life or the way I walk out my Christian life, I live in complete hypocrisy to that. And I ultimately live in such a way whereby eventually God, who always does, will expose those kind of things. And then he realizes, oh, my goodness, I could be telling everybody else what is right to do and not do what's right myself and ultimately disqualify myself and my effectiveness. And Paul said, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Look, this morning, as we journey into a new year, may we have the heart and the mentality where we look at these truths at the end of this chapter and say, you know what, Lord, how about us? We want to finish well. Lord, help us. Help us to have determination and dedication and focus and to do what we can, even in self-denial, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit so we say fruitful and effective. Who knows if we're going to get through 2021? I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But I want to finish well, and I want us to finish well by God's grace and the power of the Spirit. Let's stand together.